A quick tip from Trumi. As parents, we fear our kids making mistakes. We don't want to see them hurt, disappointed, or have them miss out on an opportunity due to making a mistake. And the older they get, the bigger the stakes and the greater our fear. And yet, the way that they learn is through those mistakes. So think back to your own mistakes. Who would you be now if you never made those mistakes? Right? Those are important. They're part of how we learn and who we become. So let your kids make mistakes. When you see something happening, just take a deep breath or two or 10, whatever you need to do, and let them learn. When it comes to technology, the same is true. Our kids need to learn how to live safely with technology. So Trumi has created a safe smartphone that grows with your child right through their teen years and beyond. In fact, my 26-year-old is experimenting with mine right now. You can learn more at Trumi.com and use the code MIGHTYPARENTING, all in caps, to get $50 off your smartphone order. And if you want to know more about my thoughts on using Trumi to help you in your parenting, pop me an email at connectatmightyparenting.com and I'm happy to share. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a podcast with real, raw, and relevant talk about raising teens and parenting young adults. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a community where we help you raise teens and parent 20-somethings so they can become happy, successful, and emotionally healthy adults. I'm Sandy Fowler, a stress relief coach, speaker, and host of the Mighty Parenting podcast with a quick reminder to pop over to MightyParenting.com and grab the free email series I created for you on how to talk to your teen. I am so excited about the feedback that I'm getting from parents on this, and I would really love to hear about your experience after you get it and walk through those suggestions, see what happens in your house. So here we talk about happy, successful, emotionally healthy adults. That's the goal, right? That's what we want at the end of the biggest part of our parenting journey. And while I agree that money can't buy happiness, I know that a lack of money causes stress, it harms relationships, it contributes to mental health issues, and studies actually do show that certain amounts of money do add to our happiness. When you're starting with having enough money to pay your bills, have a bit of fun, and even a touch of luxury, this actually does allow for more happiness. And I know I want my girls to go after their dreams because money can derail that too, right? Money can stop them from going after dreams when they need it just to survive and to pay their bills. So the question is, what do our kids need to know then about money? And how do we teach them that? And what's likely to motivate them to think about the plan for their financial future when they're so young? Well, Dan Sheeks knows the answers to those questions. He has a group of young people excited about their finances and doing something about it. They call themselves Sheik's Freaks, and those kids are rocking their dreams. And Dan is joining us today to give us insights into our kids and finances and helping them achieve their dreams. So, Dan, welcome to Mighty Parenting. Thank you, Sandy. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. I have to say, Dan, I was very excited when first I got the email telling me about your book and what you're doing. And then thank you for sending me a copy of it. As we talked about before the show, I haven't had a chance to finish the whole book yet because we got on a little bit of a time crunch here. But I am really loving what I'm reading. It is taking concepts that I have seen and believed in that I didn't discover till my late 40s. And you're sharing that information with teens. But what I'm kind of curious about is how, how have you managed to motivate teenagers and young adults to plan for their financial future? I know many parents say, you know, as long as my kids have enough money to, to buy the thing that's in front of them right now, they're really content. How do kids become interested in finances? Yeah, I think there's a couple pieces to that. Um, some kids are, are just already interested, right? If you, if you use kind of um, keywords in the conversations like millionaire or financially free, financial freedom, 
a lot of kids will kind of perk up right away. They're already very interested in their in money and how to have more of it. Uh, but but not all, not all teenagers or young people are are in that same boat. So, you know, I I, I teach personal finance in high school. I've been doing that for a while. Um, one of the ways I'll get students to be more interested in personal finance is show them success stories or talk to them about what would your life look like if you follow path A and what would your life look like if you follow path B, financially speaking. Um, and then the other thing that, and this would probably be true for adults too, that I think will help people, helps everyone be more open to learning about money is, is debunking the, the fallacy that personal finance is complicated because it really isn't. Money is actually very simple to understand. So is personal finance. So is investing. All of these concepts are made complicated by people who are trying to profit off of others. Because if you think investing is too complicated, then you're happy to pay someone to do it for you. But it's really not too sophisticated. It's easy to understand. High school students of all ages can understand the basic principles and make really good choices. Okay, I think right there, you have probably blown many people's minds because money is in our society. It's considered a taboo topic. As you said, it's considered something difficult. So I also feel then that we have parents listening who are thinking, I don't know about finances. I don't know about money. How could I even talk to my kids about this or get them motivated to and excited about looking at finances when I don't have that motivation or excitement about it. Yeah, I think the the number one piece of advice I give parents all the time who have, you know, teenagers, young kids, et cetera, the number one thing I, I will say to them is you have to, you have to be open. You have to talk about money at the dinner table, driving them to practice on your road trip. Uh, going to the grocery store, you, you know, going for a walk in or in your neighborhood, you have to start talking about money with your with your kids. And that's that's what's going to break this cycle. Our, our country is financially illiterate because schools have not taught personal finance in those skills for generations. And in order to break that cycle and, and turn into a financially literate company, our country, these conversations need to happen at home. And it also needs to be taught in schools, which you know, we're, we're focusing more on what can parents do. So have those conversations, even if you are a parent who is, you know, you struggle with money, perhaps you've made some really big money mistakes. You're not confident in your skills around saving, investing, et cetera. That's totally fine. You, you know more than your, your kids do, right? You've made more mistakes. You've learned more lessons. You've, you've paid bills. You've looked at your paycheck. You've earned different incomes from different jobs. So even those experiences can be learning tools for, let's say, a 13-year-old or however old your, your child may be. You know more than they do. So you have something to teach. You just have to put it out there and start having those conversations. And Even our mistakes are good things to talk to them about. And within reason, we have to be a little judicious about how much of our financial, direct financial and specific financial information we share with our kids. But I have a friend who she and her husband struggled mightily through the great recession and actually lost their house. The interesting things thing is that her grown kids now are actually very motivated around finances because they saw the horror that their parents went through and said, I don't ever want to have to go through that. So they have started doing different things and starting side gigs and are handling finances differently. And, and it's not really that, you know, my friend did anything terrible. She was following the same path most of us follow. She, they just got caught and squeezed by that recession in a way that they, you know, took them a while to, to figure out how to get out of. And it's taken them a long time to recover from it. They have. But I think that, again, those are things that we look at and we say, hey, there are mistakes or maybe not a mistake, but there are things that we learn 
from those situations and sharing that with our kids can actually be um, a motivation of a things they don't want to happen in their life. Yeah, I agree. I agree hundred uh, percent. And so if you take that family that you were, you were talking about your friends, um, the mistakes they made during the recession that put them in a tough spot. And I don't know their story, but perhaps they didn't have an emergency fund or perhaps they were, uh, they, they had a mortgage that was eating up too much of their income, or perhaps they just weren't, uh, they only had one source of income. Maybe they just had their job and that was their only source of income. And during the pandemic, there were many lessons learned there as well, that if you, if your only income is from one job and that job goes away, uh, guess what? You're kind of screwed for a while until you can find another job. So having more than one source of income um, is a lesson perhaps learned. So yeah, I think talking about our mistakes with our kids, it, it's, it, it should be natural. I mean, if we want our kids to learn from our, from our mistakes and have a better life than we did, then we have to show them where we made the mistakes, how we made the mistakes, what we learned from them. And you know, that's just not, not only money decisions, but, but everything. So yeah, don't be ashamed. Um, share, share all this with your kids and teach them what you do know. You mentioned something very interesting there. You, you picked up on the idea of, you know, maybe income is only coming from one source. And again, commonly when people think of a two income household, what they think of are two working adults who are contributing their traditional paycheck to the household. And yet that's not what you're talking about. So could you share more about this idea of, again, this is something we want to be talking to our teens about is, hey, look for ways to have more than one income for yourself, for your household. What does that mean? And, and what does that look like? Um, it, it, so I think it kind of, it kind of means exactly what it sounds like it means that you have money coming into your house uh, in more than one way. So, I mean, most of us have a full-time job. That's, that's going to be a significant income source. The other ones don't have to be, you know, it's not about matching that income or having some other income stream that's going to make $100,000 a year. Um, so for here's, an, I'll, I'll use my wife and I as an example. We, we rent out our basement um, to a, a, a a woman, I think she's in her thirties, a professional. Um, and that she pays us a thousand dollars a month to live in our basement, which we never use. We, you know, we, we rarely go down there. It's called, it's a form of this strategy called house hacking. That's $12,000 a year. Um, that helps us out. Right. And then we have investments in the stock market to pay dividends. That's another income stream. We have rental properties that pay us cash flow. That's an income stream. Um, I have a, I have the side business cheeks freaks that pays a little money, not a lot, but you know, something's better than nothing beyond my full-time teaching job. Um, my wife has a side hustle that she uh, is a notary signing agent and she makes a few hundred bucks a week doing that. Uh, so, you know, we have six or seven different income streams. If you look at both of us together in our house. And so if one of those goes away, we, we can survive. And that was one of the things that was so interesting to me as I was reading the book, um, was a teenager's guide to achieving early financial independence was your tagline. And the book is first to a million, but in there, you, you did these, um, I'm thinking portraits and that's not the word you used. What was the word you used in there, Dan, uh, of the different the, the, kids? Yeah, the case studies are, we call them featured freaks. Featured freaks. And that was where I saw a notary signing agent. And I was like, oh my gosh, that that is really smart. And I was thinking about one of my kids and going, that would fit amazingly well with what she's already doing. So um, I just, I found it eye-opening. We, we always want to learn something new here on the podcast. And that book was just showing me different ways that my kids or I, or my husband could add another income stream. Like you said, it didn't have to be something monumental. And I think maybe that's a trap that we fall into is that we think that if we want a side hustle or a second income stream, that it has to be huge or it has to be 
another full-time job and that that's just going to be exhausting. Yeah, it can be, it does not have to take up your time. Uh, and, and some of our passive our, uh, income streams are passive income, like our real estate and dividend income. And so we don't have to do hardly anything and that money still comes in. But it, it can be simple. Um, the notary signing, I mean, there are several websites out there. If you just Google side hustles, even just driving for Uber one day a week or DoorDash delivering meals one day a week. Um, you know, young people out there, there's so many different options. They can, they can sell some services on Upwork if they know if they're tech savvy. They can, you know, obviously do the traditional things like mow lawns or shovel sidewalks, walk dogs in the neighborhood. Uh, there's a ton of different ways that young people can make extra money and, and even adults. Now, what do you recommend that our kids do with this money? <laughs> Great question. Uh, so I'll stick to teenagers, Sandy, because that's kind of my niche. Uh, I, I've been teaching high school for 19 years now. Um, if you know, when I talk to my teens, I say the money that you come in, the, the number one rule, and this is the best piece of advice I have for anybody when it comes to personal finance is this concept called pay yourself first, which is exactly as it sounds when you have income coming in, let's say you have a thousand dollars coming, coming in the first chunk of that money. The first bill that you pay is to your future self. Um, and, and pick a percentage, hopefully something higher than 10%. Um, the average American saves somewhere between four and 7% of their income, which is pretty low. Uh, so we can train our, our kids and our young people to start saving 15, 20, perhaps 30 or 40% of their income starting now when they're living with their parents and they don't have a ton of extra bills. That's, that's a great habit to get into. So the extra money that comes in, take some off the top, put that away in a savings account is a fine place to put it for a while until they're ready to invest in one way or another. Um, but yeah, take, take a certain percentage to pay yourself first and then whatever's left, pay any bills that they might have. And I think it's a very good idea for parents to make their teenagers responsible for some of their own personal bills um, and then gifting or uh, charity is can be part of that equation. And then, you know, saving some to have fun, buy, buy that new snowboard, buy that new video game that you want. Uh, but paying yourself first uh, with any money that comes in, that's the best piece of advice I can give anybody about managing their money. Okay, so your work is focused on one, teaching basic financial skills, but also to your work specifically in Sheik's Freaks is about showing our kids that they can become financially independent. So why don't we just touch on this um, a little bit? I mean, the information is in the book, so we can get a lot of detail on both the how-to, but also the the thought process and the psychology behind that. But if you could just tell us a little bit, Dan, what is it that you're encouraging our teens to consider when you say becoming financially independent? Yeah. Uh, so, so to back up just a bit, you mentioned, yes, personal, basic personal finance topics, strategies, um, that has to be there first. That has to be the foundation to build upon for for, for even better money decisions down the road. And there's a lot of great resources, websites, and books out there that are for teenagers about personal finance. Um, and I highly recommend any of that stuff for, uh, for a child. But yet the, the book I wrote in the community that I have for young people kind of goes to the next level. We definitely talk about basic personal finance concepts all the time, but we also take it to this other level where there are, there are additional strategies and concepts that you can employ that will set you up on a track where you get to early financial independence. Some people call it early financial freedom. To me, it, to me, it means the same thing, where you are in a position uh, 
and by early, we mean any, any time before 65, because that is the traditional retirement age today is 65. Honestly, when our teenagers get to be 65, I think the retirement age will be closer to 70 to 75 in that range, just because life expectancy continues to go up. But early financial independence means perhaps in your 40s, 30s, even maybe in your 20s, you reach a point where your passive income coming in is more than your living expenses going out, which then means that that person doesn't have to work their full-time W-2 job anymore. They absolutely can. And if they love it, they probably will, but they don't have to. And that fact opens up many more opportunities for them to, to do other things in their life. Maybe that they enjoy more different, maybe a small business or maybe a different job that pays less perhaps, but that's okay because they're financially independent. So getting exposing young people to this option is what the community is all about to say option A says you can work that typical nine to five till you're 65 grind. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a great proven method that millions of people have done, but there are other options. And here's one, you can, you can do things drastically differently and kind of be freakish with your money and reach a point of financial independence decades before the average person and, and you know, then choose how you, you want to spend your time. Uh, so that's, that's the whole goal right there. Well, and I think that's part of motivating kids is talking to them. Again, we've said this before in Mighty Parenting many times and for many different reasons. We want to talk to our kids about what's important to them, what matters to them, what do they want to spend their time in their life doing, where do they want to be in the world, what difference do they want to make. And we've talked about it from the standpoint of why it's important for mental wellness, why it is important when we have kids who are struggling with grades. Um, we've talked about it with guests who are on talking about just creating happiness. And you're here talking about the same thing in the finance world is hey, you can do the work and make sacrifices now to have financial independence, which allows you to spend your time in the way that is really meaningful for you, that, that gives meaning to your life. And I just, I love that that flows through so many conversations we've had here in so many different areas. And again, I just wanted to take that back to, we started the show with, hey, how do you motivate kids to learn about finances? How do you get them excited in it, uh, excited about working in this? And that's one way is to let them tie it to something they are already excited about, something that is meaningful to them. Is How does that motivation, how do you see that play out in the both the teens and the young adults you work with, Dan? I think, uh, so when you were, when you were, and by the way, Sandy, what you just said, that little block there, it, you nailed it. It's perfect to what you said. I love that. Um, one of the phrases I will use to motivate teenagers and young people is how would you feel if you could retire before your parents? That tends to get their, their attention because they, they kind of see it as maybe a, this, this absurd competition that maybe they could retire before. And I don't like using the word retire. I should say that um, reaching early financial independence doesn't mean that somebody is going to just stop producing and contributing for the rest of their life. As most of us envision retirement for a 65 year old person, that, that might be true for them. But if you reach financial independence at age, let's say 30, it doesn't, that person who has made, who's super motivated, they're not going to stop producing and creating and, and earning. They're just going to do it on their own terms. And so you, like you said, you'd really get to build your life at that point with what you are passionate about, what your dreams are, spending time with you know who you want, where you want, when you want, how you want, um, still earning, still creating, still producing, but you, you, you have a ton more freedom there. Um, it's, it's a great carrot to hang out in front of them to get their attention. And uh, it's not the path everyone should take. It's not for everybody. It does take extra work, as you said, some sacrifice, but it is yet another option that they should know about. And then they get to decide for themselves what they do with that option. 
And that too is another piece that we have been told repeatedly by experts when it comes to just human wellness, mental and emotional wellness is when we feel like we have control and have say in our life, we do better. We are happier. So whether they say yes or no to this isn't what is going to determine that. It's the fact that they have the choice and they might say no right now and say yes later on, or they might say no to the full concept, but take pieces of it for themselves. And, it, and it's not about making them do this. It's just about going, like you said, Dan, here's another option. We're all about options here. And to follow this or just to survive well financially in life, you already had said that we need our teens to have basic personal finance skills. And there was another piece that you talked about that I think is surprising to many parents, and that is talking to teens and young adults about their credit score. Why do you start talking to someone so young about a credit score and what could they even possibly do about it? I think most adults understand at some point we, whether we're applying for a loan or we, we understand too late how important credit scores are. They, they, I kind of see it as a game. You have to jump through hoops. It's not a, it's not, it doesn't have the perfect rules, but it, it's, it's the game we have to play. So setting teenagers up to have a great credit score out of the gates. And by that, I mean, you know, at age 18, they can start to have their own accounts without parents attached and their own credit cards and their own investments. So out of the gate, you know, those first couple of years, 18 to 20, um, it's crucial for young people to build a, a solid credit score. It is not difficult. It is not, I, I've seen and worked with young people who have one credit card. They got it the day they turned 18. A couple of years later, they were able to build up a solid credit score with one credit card. Um, their credit history isn't, you know, isn't full of different accounts that they've made a lot of on-time payments, but their credit score is solid, you know, 700s, if not higher. So it is, it is so important. And the one thing parents can do, the best thing parents can do to help give their, their children a head start on building the credit score um, is to add their child, their minor child, as an authorized user on a credit card. Super easy to do. Call up your credit card company. Call a credit card company that has a credit card that you use. If you, if you add them to a credit card that you don't use, then there's, there's no benefit there. But whatever credit card you use as the parent, call them up, say, hey, I have a 15-year-old son. I want to add him as an authorized user. They'll probably say, okay. Verify that they actually will report your on-time payments to your child's credit report, your child's credit history as well. Sometimes some credit cards might not do that. And then, and then I would go some, to dip some other card. But it's, it's kind of a loophole where if a teenager is on a parent's credit card as an authorized user, as a parent, you can decide whether you want to give them that extra credit card that has their name on it, or whether you want to allow them to spend money or not and give them a limit or not. That's up to you. But just having them on the account as you, the parent, make on-time payments, um, that starts to build up your child's credit score even before they're 18. So that's a good little trick that, that every parent should be doing. And I did not know that that would get reported out to or could get reported out to our child's credit score universe, whatever mm -hmm. that, that wonderful, wonderful place is out there. Because um, that's something we did with our kids. One, just as they were out moving around in the world, we wanted them to have the ability to have access to substantial amounts of funds in case of an emergency. And two, I wanted them to get used to carrying a credit card around in their wallet and not using it on a regular basis and not using it for impulse purchases and small things. So when my kids were teens, we kind of used that as a bit of a learning tool. And then when they were in college, had them apply for their own cards and their own names, as you said. And yes, it, just with that one card, it was very easy to get a, a good 700, 800 credit score. And then, Dan, you know more about this than I do. I just know my girls are at this point right now where 
as things shift with COVID and they're having to get out into the world more, they're actually going to have to buy vehicles. And they both made decisions to buy old used cars that didn't cost a whole lot, but were in the family, excellent condition, all of that. But then their mother said, I know you're not paying a lot for this car and you have the cash for it. I highly recommend you go to the bank and get, or go to the credit union and get a loan for a portion of it just to build up your credit score. Now, was that, I'm I'm wondering if that's old advice, if that's still good advice. Um, It's not bad advice to, to have a car loan, even though you don't need it, as long as the interest rate is low. Um, it's not well, and my advice. suggestion was, you know, take the loan, make the payments. First of all, it's going to be a very small loan, but make the payments for a few months, maybe, you know, five or six months and then just pay it off. Yeah, it's, that's not a bad idea. So a, a piece of the credit score, a big piece of your credit score is how many on-time payments have you made? So I like the idea that you had of the, the loan amount being small, because that means the interest that they pay over the life of that loan will be smaller and, but I, I'm fine with it being even a three-year loan and just paying off, say, a $1,000 car loan. It's, it's more about proving that they can make that payment on time every month over three years. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's four or five months, that's better than nothing, but it's not as good as 36 months of payments on time. Okay. So a smaller loan over a longer time actually does more for their credit score. Yes. Yep. Okay. And they, my kids were just angry. They said, this is ridiculous because the smart thing to do is if you have the cash, you pay for the car and, and not be taking out loans and, you know, paying for the privilege of using someone else's money, mm-hmm. they wanted to put it away, but that's part of the game. What else could they do to improve their credit score as they move you know, past 18 into college or moving out on their own or, or staying with us for a while. I know many parents are, you know, happy to have their kids at home. We set up some ground rules with ours around what they had to contribute, what they needed to do around the household in, in every sense, time, energy, money, and what we expected them to do in terms of savings. But that was fine with us. So what are some other things that as our kids move through those phases that they could be doing? to help their credit score? Good question. I, I tell the young people I work with on, you know, in our online community, I say the day you turn 18, um, and this is regardless of whether they're an authorized user on a parent's card or not, the day you turn 18, roll out of bed, go to your laptop, apply for your first credit card. So you have a credit card when you're 18, start using it to buy your Anytime you're at a restaurant, if you go to Jimmy John's or Chipotle, use your credit card, pay it off every month in full, start building that habit. When you turn 19, apply for your second credit card. And then when you turn 19 and a half, apply for a third credit card. Most people would say, what are you crazy given a 19 and a half year old three credit cards? No, if they know how to manage them, if they've been taught well and, they, and they're, again, you have to use each one. If it's sitting there doing nothing, it's not building a credit score. So I'll tell them you use one for food, one for gas, and one for clothes or entertainment. And you have to be disciplined to pay off every card in full every month, even if it's just $50 a month on each card. That will, that will skyrocket your credit score um, very fast. And you know, instead of making one on-time payment every month, you're making three. That's, you know, you're, you're building up those on-time payments really quickly. But that is only one type of credit, that revolving credit, which is a credit card. The one that you talked about, like a car loan or a personal loan, that's a different type of credit, which will, which will build the credit score even more. And so I do recommend your strategy of a $1,000 car loan over three years. I love that. I've told young kids I work with, go to the bank, wherever you have your checking account, savings account, ask them for a $500 personal loan. You may not need the money. That's fine put it in your account and just use that money to pay off your personal loan over two or three years. You're going to pay some interest to do that, but now you have a different type of uh, credit line, building up your credit report, building up your credit score. And this is, these are only strategies we need to do when you're, when we're young, once your credit score is established. So let's say that 19 year old gets to be 23, you know, go ahead and cancel one or two of those credit cards. Now your credit core is credit score is probably 750 plus 
And you don't need to do all these, these extra things to build a credit score. Just don't, just don't screw it up. Okay. So that begs the question, what screws it up? What are the biggest mistakes you see kids, people making? Uh, that's simple. They, they don't pay their bills on time. They don't pay their payments on time. Um, anything that involves borrowing money. Uh, so if you, if you're late on your cell phone bill, if you're late on your electric bill, um, oddly enough, if you're late on your rent, those don't really affect your credit score because it's not an indication of how you handle borrowed money. We're talking about mostly credit cards and loan payments. If, if you miss one, that, that thing's on there for a long time. Uh, if you have, here's a little trick. If, if you have a steady, if you have a, a solid history with a company, let's say a credit card company, for a couple of years and you, you miss one payment, you can call them up and they may actually take that off of your credit history and give you that little freebie mess up with, and, but you have to ask. Um, but if they're missing payments, you know, two, three, four times, uh, that's gonna tank their credit score quickly, quicker for a young person because they don't have all of the years of on-time payments to back them up as an adult would. So a small mistake when you're young is much more costly to your credit score than a small mistake when you're in your 30s, 40s, or 50s. And I think we also need to just be aware of how quickly their credit scores can change for things that aren't even a mistake. I watch my credit score every month and it floats around a few points up and down for whatever reason it does that here and there. I don't even know why I can't attribute it to any particular change in my behavior. But, you know, sometimes I go in and pay early on a credit card. Sometimes I wait till the due date. Is that it? I don't know. I know a while ago there was a change that was made in the way scores were going to be calculated because all four of my husband, my daughter, both my daughters and I, we all had changes, but they were different. One thing to know, though, is that as long as they're following the rules, just encourage them to keep following the rules and ignore the little fluctuations mm -hmm. as they're building this. And the little fluctuations do tend to be bigger. As you said, with our kids being young, they don't have that history behind them. So I have noticed that, that the things that happen to their credit scores are bigger jumps than things that can happen in mine. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. Um, and if we have time, Sandy, I want to share another strategy for parents, uh, if I may, that um, it, is, it is a little extreme. And I haven't practiced it myself, but I do plan on using it with my son when he's old enough. Um, a, a good friend of mine, Adam Carroll, who's also an expert in this space, uh, he talks about it. And it is the idea of empowering your teenager to handle their own money for their own, uh, for their own bills when they're in your house. And when they're in your house, if they make a mistake, it's not as impactful as if, you know, they're off to college or out in the real world that when they make mistakes out there, they tend to be more significant. So the strategy is basically, you know, when you're, when your son or daughter is ready, let's say freshman, sophomore year of high school, perhaps, you sit them down and you share with them, you're like, listen, I, I'm going to give you an income. You're going to earn an income here. And it's going to be pretty significant. Um, the amount of that we'll get into, and it would be different for every household. But you say, in, I'm going to give you this sizable income every month, but here's what you have to do. Going forward, any food you eat in this house is free. And the fact that you're living in this house is free. Every other cost that you incur you are now responsible for. So if we go out to eat as a family, you, the, we're going to split the check and you have to pay for your, your portion of that meal. If we're to go on vacation, you have to pay for your portion of the hotel room. You have to pay for your ticket to Disneyland. You have to pay for your transportation on the subway. This is all coming out of your pocket. Now, it's not meant to punish young people because you're going to give them enough money to, to budget correctly and, and handle that. But it, it instantly motivates them to pay attention. So if you did go out to dinner with your family and you and this, this little strategy is in place, you would see that teenager all of a sudden looking at the menu very differently 
than when mom and dad are paying for whatever I want to get. So am I going to get the, the $25 dinner or am I going to get the $17 dinner? Am I going to get the lemonade or am I going to get the water? Am I going to get the dessert? They can do whatever they want and let them make mistakes. By all means, you have to let them make mistakes. Have a month where they spend more than what you give them and then sit down and talk about why that happened. But empowering them with all the decisions to pay for, you know, they have to pay for their share of the cell phone bill. Uh, utilities are included in the living, so not that. But um, if you start thinking about, you know, all the different expenses that, you know, if they're going to go to soccer camp, that comes out of your money. Again, give them enough money that they can actually afford this stuff because you don't want them to not go to soccer camp. But having them keep track of their income and expenses, having them watch the ups and downs of the balance in their account, those skills that they learn while they're living with you in your house, you can't match that. They're going to be so much more successful once they leave because they've already managed their personal budget for two or three years before they before they went off to the real world. So I highly recommend that strategy. I am very intrigued with the extent you took that too. I did something, my husband and I did something similar with our girls, just not quite to that extent. And I can say from personal experience that it was, what we did was incredibly effective. And it would have been interesting to see what happened if we had taken that, taken it that far along the way. And, and you can do it in phases, right? You can, you can do it in a, a more, a less significant way, say when they're in middle school, or, and then you can build up to that. Okay, now you're responsible. Maybe even you make, maybe you make them pay a couple hundred dollars in rent to you to live in your house. You can build it however you want, but I think your experience speaks to the success of this strategy and teaching them how to manage their money before they leave your supervision. We did what you were talking about, Dan, in that we implemented it in phases. And I actually took it from something my mom did when I was a kid. I went to a school. We didn't have a traditional cafeteria set up where you bought hot lunches. But three days a week, the PTA organized bringing in you know, pizza one day, hot dogs, another kind of a thing. And every day you could buy whatever to drink. And so at the beginning of the month, when I was younger, she started giving me the money going, Okay, here's your here's your money to buy. At that point, it was milk when she started when I was in grade school, right? So here's your milk money for every day. I had a choice. I could buy milk or I could drink water and I could use that money for something else. As I was older and she gave me money for hot lunch one or two days a week or whatever it was, again, she gave it to me at the beginning of the month. And if I chose not to buy hot lunch that day. I had to make my own lunch and take it because mom already gave me money. She wasn't going to also make my lunch. So we took that and we expanded it and started some little things and then worked up to, okay, we tend to take our kids clothes shopping twice a year. We did, you know, the beginning of school and the beginning of summer. So I started out going, here's your money in this envelope and you and I are going shopping and you're going to make the decisions on how it's spent. And eventually got to the point where we just gave them that money. And as you said, added in other things. Okay, here's what mom has budgeted for the year for your school activities. You can, you still have to check with us about activities in terms of how you're going to get there and how much time it takes away from family things we want to do or whatever. But as far as the money piece, you got to make them fit this or talk to us about it and we'll help you find a way to do what you want to do. There's always a way to make it happen, but this is what we're contributing toward it. And you decide how you want to do that. And it was, it was incredibly, incredibly effective. We did it with Christmas presents when they were younger. Um, yeah. Christmas presents, clothes, school activities, food, money. And, and then, as you said earlier, make them personally responsible for their personal expenses. We said, love it. You know, you're a teenager. You have the ability to make money. We're, we're putting a roof over your head. We're, we're paying for what we talked about and explained that these are the things we consider to be basic and essential expenses and some things that we want to do for you. Other things, that's up to you. And, and there are things that we will help you with, but it's essentially it's your choice and, and you get to decide how you want to do this. Um, and they, they learned and they learned a lot. One of my favorite stories, though, is you talked about in your book that you, you had a I think it started with a quote and you said, you know, 
wealthy people don't say, I can't afford to do something. They say, how can I afford to do that? And that comes in with the same concept that you're talking about is teaching our kids to not just say, well, I can't afford to go out to eat. It's taking, well, not just taking responsibility, but understanding that that's their choice, how they spend the money that you give them and that they earn. And then taking that responsibility for how am I choosing to spend this? What do I want to do with it? And if this money doesn't go far enough, okay, how can I still do this thing I want to do? Um, my kids, when it came to class rings, high school class rings at that point, we were not buying that. And one of my girls came, they both wanted them and, and we worked with each of them to figure out how to do what they wanted to do. But the one came to me and turned out she was the only one of her friends who got one because they all went to their parents and said, you know, wanting a class ring. And the other parents also said, I'm not paying for it. But I said, I'm not paying for it. And she was disappointed. I said, so how could you afford it? How could you get that ring? And then she started thinking and tossing out ideas and we brainstormed and, and she figured out how to get a class ring. But those are, those are some of the important lessons. And, and I like this idea of giving them more control over their money. I, I know in our case it worked and, and everybody's kids are different. I'm curious if you have seen situations where a kid just isn't doing well with money as you give them more responsibility and what your recommendations are around that. Because it's very easy when you give your kid responsibility and yeah, they're going to have some little failures and learn from them. But if they're not learning from it, if they're just continuing to be reckless, do you have suggestions around that? Oh, wow. That's a tough one. But I should pause here. Sandy, kudos to you, man. It, just based on what you were just talking about with your daughters, man, you did a lot of things right. So congrats and good job. Uh, teaching them all those important skills. And you nailed it. You, you really did. Um, as far, you know, yeah, there are kids out there where you give them some responsibility, even, you know, when they're living with you and they just, just don't get it. They're, they're being reckless. Like you said, that's a good word. Um, I haven't run into any of that personally. Uh, you know, the kids in my classroom, I don't, I'm, I don't know, and I don't really want to know what money is like at home for all of them at a personal level. And the students I work with in my community, the same is basically true for them. So, but the advice I would give if you're a parent and you have a kid who's just not getting it is just to continue working with them um, and maybe, maybe revert a little bit and go back to the basics, show them what a really, really simple budget looks like, um, let them understand how money doesn't grow on trees and everything that they buy does have, you know, does affect other choices. There's an opportunity cost to everything you buy. If you want to buy um, the new bike, then you might not be able to buy the new snowboard. So which one do you want more? Or, and I love what you did with your kids. If you don't have the money to buy the snowboard, how can you get the money? What are things you can do? And, and as a parent, you can give your kids jobs around the house um, or, or put it on them. Say, you know what? There's probably some things around here that you could do for us in the yard, in the house. Why don't you come up with a list of things you're willing to do and how much you'd like us to pay you for that? And we'll consider it. So they might say, I'm willing to paint the rec room in the basements, or I'm willing to clean your office every day or every once a week for the whole year. How much, you know, maybe they'll come up with some good ideas of chores they can do around the house which you would be happy to pay them for. Uh, my, my guess is you'd probably pay them less than a housekeeper. So it might be a win-win and you'd have a nice clean office or a freshly painted room or some stuff in your backyard you've just been wanting to get rid of forever, but now they can figure out a way to get that done for you. So challenging them to come up with ideas about how to make money is, uh, is a great motivator as well. And I like that idea of going to motivation in, as you were talking, Dan, I was also thinking back to this example that you gave about giving them responsibility for the money for some of the, the household expenses that are actually theirs, but not a lot at once. So it might be as simple as here's at the beginning of the month, here's your money for you know hot lunches for school and for your cell phone bill. And if they don't pay it, 
then they live with the consequences of that. So they actually have room to make mistakes that they feel in some way, because I think that we can tend to keep our teenagers' financial mistakes to be centered around things like not getting the snowboard, which yeah, there's a little bit of something around there, but then they put it on the Christmas list and grandma gets it for them. Or it's, it's <laughs> not quite the same as I didn't get to eat today because, or I had to you know, get up early and pack my own lunch to eat, or I couldn't use my cell phone for the next month because I spent the money on something else and I couldn't pay my cell phone bill. Just looking at it, I think um, from that standpoint of allowing them allowing them to have your trust to say, I believe you can do this. And you might make some mistakes along the way, but that's how you learn. And I, I believe in you that you can handle this. Whereas I think we tend to go again, the other way is going, oh, they can't handle it. I'll take care of it all because I can't have them making mistakes around money. And the mistakes now are so much smaller than the mistakes they'll make later. And I know that you talk about that too. Um, Dan, so much here. So interesting. Like I said, enjoying your book, First to a Million. Uh, where can parents find you online or where can their kids? The idea is to have this conversation with our teens, our 20-somethings. <laughs> Once again, mighty parents, you can blame it on me, blame it on the podcast. I was listening to Sandy and she was talking about this thing that sounded so cool. I wish I'd known about it when I was a kid. But where can they find you if they or their kids want to learn more or get involved with your um, Sheik's Freaks? Thanks. Yeah, my my resources, my platforms are are really for the young people themselves, not for parents. Um, if a parent wants to email me, please do. Uh, my email is dan at sheiksfreaks.com. Uh, S-H-E-E-K-S-F-R-E-A-K-S. Uh, but for the for the young people, and, and I like to say that my online community is anywhere from 14, 15, all the way up to 25. So through college, that that 10, 11 year span. Um, our online community is you can find it at sheiksfreaks.com on the website. Uh, they can get in the community. There's a free membership uh, level that they can get in there. And uh, we we have all kinds of different things we do in there, guest speakers, Zoom calls, blogs, uh, different forums and topics. So if you have a teenager out there and, and they want to learn more or you want to, them to learn more, send them over to our community and, and we'll take good care of them. Okay. Well, Dan, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy life and spending it with us here today. You're very welcome, Sandy. Thanks for having me. It's, it's been fun. Um, I love talking about this kind of stuff and helping young people live their best lives. So uh, hopefully we can do it again sometime soon. And mighty parents, thank you for being here. Thanks for listening. As you can tell, this is a topic I enjoy. And I'd be interested to hear what you think and maybe some of the roadblocks you've run into, some of the successes that you've had. And I'm going to ask you, please share the show with a couple of other parents so we can start sharing this message and empowering our kids to be happy, healthy, emotionally healthy adults and to find success in the way that they want it in their life. So thanks so much for being here. And remember, if you're listening, you are a mighty parent. You got this. And I will see you next week.